0: regulated militia be necessary to the security of a free state? The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Welcome to another edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. My name is Cam Edwards, and I am so glad you joined the program today. Coming up in a matter of moments, we're going to be talking with Mr. Alan Gottlieb, the founder and executive vice president of the Second Amendment Foundation, there's a lot to talk about uh, with Alan, uh, including what happened in the Lone Star State of Texas yesterday, where the legislature gave final approval to both constitutional carry and Second Amendment sanctuary legislation. This is absolutely huge news for the uh, Second Amendment community, not only in the state of Texas, but uh, really, I think each and every one of us uh, who are Second Amendment supporters should be thrilled. Uh, by uh, the actions of the Texas state legislature, this is going to have an impact, I think, on other states. Given the the size of the state of Texas, you know, almost ten percent of the U.S. population now, twenty eight million more Americans going to be eligible uh, to uh, to to lawfully carry a firearm without having to get a government permission slip. Uh, and again, the state of Texas sending warning to Democrats in Washington D.C. You can pass your federal gun control law, well, actually you can't at the moment, but uh, if you do pass any new federal gun control laws, you're on your own in terms of enforcement because state and local police in the Lone Star State of Texas will not be lifting a finger or spending a penny to help you enforce those new gun control laws. That is, again, that's a huge step forward. Uh, and because of the size of Texas, because of the importance of um, uh, you know Texas in terms of uh, red state governance, I think that you are going to see uh, other states follow suit. I mean, Texas is already the fifth state this year to adopt constitutional carry legislation. So that right to carry evolution keeps rolling on. Uh, but we could see, you know, states like Indiana, Ohio, Georgia, perhaps, uh, Alabama, South Carolina, even Florida. Uh, I think constitutional carry is now on the table in a way that it was not. Um, before the state of Texas uh, passed this legislation on Monday. So we're going to talk with Alan Gottlieb about that. And, of course, you know, the Second Amendment Foundation, they're doing fantastic work uh, all around the country uh, defending our right to keep and bear arms and also helping to secure our right. We're not displaying defense, clearly, uh, as we saw in the state of Texas yesterday. We are advancing because in states across the nation and the second amendment foundation is a huge part of that if you want to join the organization and do your part to step up and protect and strengthen our right to keep and bear arms is an easy way to do so all you have to do is text join saf to 474747 you become a Second Amendment first responder. You will get grassroots alerts, so when you've got pro-gun bills or bad bills popping up in your state legislature, you'll know about them, uh, and you can respond. You can talk to your lawmakers and say, hey, listen, I want you to support this. Hey, listen, you need to oppose this, and here's why. But you won't just be sitting on the couch. You will be a part of that Second Amendment army defending our right to keep and bear arms. And again, all you have to do, text JOIN SAF to 474747 and become a Second Amendment first responder today. Now, besides the good news in Texas, we also have some uh, news in Washington, D.C. that is, you know, not so great. Um, We've got the public comment period that is now open for the uh, new ATF proposed rule on frames and receivers, redefining these things to include incompleted gun parts uh, and really trying to curtail DIY gun-making. Uh, this rule also proposes new definitions for suppressors. It imposes new record-keeping requirements on FFLs. Uh, and in addition to that proposed rule change, we also have the confirmation hearing for David Chipman coming up on Wednesday. The Senate Judiciary Committee going to be meeting. Uh, he is one of several nominees that will be up for discussion with the uh, Senate Judiciary Committee, but if uh, David Chipman gets confirmed as the head of the ATF, you will have a gun control activist in charge of the agency overseeing the rules and regulations that the firearms industry and gun owners have to follow. Imagine the reaction if President Donald Trump, for example, Uh, had tried to appoint a, I don't know, a Larry Keene from the National Shooting Sports Foundation or an Alan Godley from the Second Amendment Foundation to head up the organization. The howls of outrage from gun control activists, from Democrats, from the media, you could still probably hear them reverberating around the halls of the U.S. Capitol today if Donald Trump had done that. He did not. Instead, Joe Biden has nominated a gun control activist, and it remains to be seen whether or not Chipman has the votes, uh, Joe Manchin has sort of indicated that uh, he is supportive of Chipman, but he hasn't come right out and said he's going to vote for Chipman. So the uh, NRA and other organizations are, you know, getting the word out. They're targeting states like West Virginia and Arizona, targeting some of these, I don't want to call them moderate Democrats, but the, uh, the Democrats uh, that have not, uh, you know, uh, towed the line uh, when it comes to um, uh, following the, uh, the Democrats' ideology. Uh, under the Biden administration in the hopes of peeling away one or two votes and forcing the Biden administration to uh, to rethink their decision to anoint a gun control activist as head of the ATF. That's where we're going to begin our conversation with Alan Gottlieb of the Second Amendment Foundation. Take a look and a listen. Alan, thank you so much, sir, for joining me on the program. It's great talk with you today. Oh, it's always great to be with you, Cam, and your listeners as well. And we actually have some good news to discuss, but we're going to get to that in just a little bit. Let's talk about the threats uh, to gun owners first and foremost here. And and one of those big threats is really going to be on, I think, uh, everybody's radar tomorrow when the Senate Judiciary Committee meets for a confirmation hearing. Uh, Among those nominees, David Shipman, Joe Biden's nominee to head up the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms and Explosives, and Alan, you know, I, I said in our uh, intro to our conversation here, uh, imagine what the reaction for the left would be if, if you had been nominated by Donald Trump to run the ATF. I mean, this is in essence what we're talking about here. You've got a a, a guy in David Shipman who has spent much of the last decade as a paid lobbyist and a paid activist for gun control groups like Mayors Against Illegal Guns and Giffords. And now the Biden administration wants to put him in charge of the agency that that oversees the regulations and laws that uh, the firearms industry and gun owners have to abide by.
1: Yep, the fox in charge of the hen house. This is the gun prohibition
0: lobby's dream. So what would this mean if David Chipman does get confirmed to this position?
1: Well, it means we have an agency that will no longer be neutral. We have an agency that instead of working with the firearms industry uh, and to solve problems, will be out there trying to abolish the firearms industry. And that's why all the you know firearms uh, trade groups are opposing them in his nomination as well. Uh, this is pr- somebody is put in there. It's a war against guns, uh, and of course, gun owners can't find a way to buy a gun. They can't exercise their Second Amendment rights, and this is what it's all about. Joe Biden is really a sleazy character.
0: Well, it really is, and I gotta say, uh, you know you, that that phrase that you just used, the the war on guns, I think is very apt. And to my mind, not only should gun owners and the firearms industry be opposed to David Chipman, but look, if you're on the left and and you know you're out there uh, advocating for defunding the police and reimagining policing, I, I think you should be opposed to David Chipman as well because David Chipman's entire ideology is based around the idea of putting more laws on the books, creating new crimes out of our right to keep and bear arms, which leads to more policing, more arrests, more incarceration for for nonviolent offenses. And if you believe that the criminal justice system and policing is inherently racist, well, then that means that disproportionately speaking, there are going to be more minorities put behind bars on these nonsensical uh, charges if David Chipman is in charge of the ATF. Well, you're 100% right, but unfortunately for
1: us, the left in this country is very hypocritical. Yeah. And uh, as a result, it's a, it's a push against us. They don't realize how it can push back against them.
0: That's absolutely right. Uh, and <clears throat> unfortunately, you know, I, I, I wish that they were consistent, but clearly they're not. Uh, and I am guessing that a lot of them are just going to, uh, you know, swallow their hypocrisy and, uh, and and vote to confirm David Shipman. But this is not a done deal, it sounds like. I mean, you know, the the 50-50 Senate means that the vote is going to be very close. I've not heard a single Republican uh, say that they are on board with uh, Chipman's nomination. And there are still senators out there like uh, Joe Manchin, even uh, Kirsten Sinema of Arizona, who uh, have not publicly uh, embraced or endorsed Chipman's nomination. Do you think we have a chance to defeat him?
1: I think we have a chance, but uh, I view us as the underdog in this fight mainly because the administration has all kinds of tools in their toolbox to use to, you know, basically say to the senators, you know, you vote this way for this, and I will give you your state this, I'll give you this, uh, or I'll support your, your other proposal on this. And and that's what I'm very concerned about. And, I'm, you know, there's a couple of Republicans that we can lose because they're going to say, well, it's the president's prerogative for who he puts into his, you know, government positions. Um, so it, it's going to be tight. It's going to be very, very tight.
0: Yeah, it is going to be tight and unfortunately it only takes 51 votes uh to confirm David Chibin. So, as you say, you know, we lose one Republican uh and uh it, you know, game over. Uh and and frankly, uh, you know, <clears throat> even if we're able to defeat a a a permanent uh uh nomination for David Chipman, Biden could just appoint him as a temporary uh director, right? And and he could renew that uh, that appointment each and every year that uh, the Bidens in office.
1: He could put him in as an acting director uh Yeah, of course, his wings are clipped a bit. Uh, But yes, I mean, and Biden will do everything he can to, you know, basically keep his war on guns and gun owners going. Yeah.
0: Well, and to that end, you know, we've got the, uh, the, the, the final draft, I guess, of this proposed rule to redefine what a uh, firearm frame is, what a receiver is, redefine suppressor, uh, impose all kinds of new record-keeping requirements on FFLs. Uh, This finally dropped last Friday, two weeks after the ATF sent out their press release, announcing this proposed rule change. The public comment period is now finally underway. Um, Have you had a chance to look at this rule? Are folks at the Second Amendment Foundation uh, pouring over uh, this proposed rule from the ATF right now?
1: Yeah, it's not good. Again, it's Aimed at hurting fire, the firearms industry and, and consumers, particularly people who like to build their own firearms in their own home. Uh, you know, there there will probably be litigation over this as time goes on, uh, when when the final thing is, is put together and done. But again, what we're what we're looking at here is not about redefining what a gun is. They like to re, what their ultimate goal is is to redefine the Second Amendment.
0: No, you're absolutely right about that. And, I mean, you can see this with the the broad language that uh, the ATF is using in this proposed rule. As a matter of fact, uh, while they say we want to come up with a new definition uh, for a framework receiver, we don't want any of our old determinations to be changed by that. I mean, they really want to have their cake and eat it too, right? We, we want the old rules to stay in effect, but we want to be able to put new rules in place, uh, new definitions while still relying on the old definitions whenever necessary, there's no consistency there other than a consistent position of diminishing our Second Amendment rights.
1: Yeah, the va- the vagueness is, is really rather scary. Uh, and, you know, it, it is something that we are, we're all paying attention to. Uh, it's definitely going to create problems. You know, there's an unintended consequence here. Lots of gun owners and firearms industry work very closely with the ATF. When you start attacking guns and gun owners and firearms industry from ATF, What happens is, you know, our side's going to stop working with you totally. It's going to become an unbelievable polarization between America's gun owners and the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco and Firearms, which is not good for law enforcement or for our country.
0: Absolutely. And we still have another rule that uh, may be coming out in the next couple of weeks uh, regarding pistol braces. Uh, I know that uh, we'll be talking more about that when that rule uh, is released. But do you have any advice for for gun owners who do want to submit their public comment? I've heard from a lot of folks who say, all right, I I want to chime in, but I don't really know what to say. Um, What would you tell gun owners who who want to, to, to voice their opposition to this new proposed rule?
1: Well, first of all, I should say there's no reason for this new proposed rule to start with, uh, that the, you know, cur- current, current, rules and regulations, you know, are fine, uh, and leave things stand the way they are and go after people who, who quote unquote currently are breaking laws that exist today. Uh, most of the complaints that ATF is using to justify this new rule could be enforced under other laws to begin with.
0: Okay, and again, uh, the Second Amendment Foundation. You kind of hinted at this, but uh, you think that that uh, this new rule may very well be challenged. Are, are you all prepared to uh, to to file suit if this proposed rule becomes final?
1: Yeah, if our attorneys feel that there's a good chance that we could
0: be successful uh, challenging it, we will definitely challenge it. All right. Well, listen. I know that gun owners are not rolling over uh, for the Biden administration and the uh, the anti gun agenda that we're seeing here. Uh, Not only are we pushing back in Washington, D.C., but uh, you take a look around the states and we're actually making some some pretty substantial gains. I've got to ask you uh, your take on uh, Texas lawmakers approving both constitutional carry and Second Amendment sanctuary language yesterday.
1: Well, I have a very big smile on my face. I mean, Texas is a major state, a large population center. You know, a significant percentage of Americans live in Texas. I am really glad we have a state that big coming out for both the sanctuary movement as well as constitutional carry. Uh, it bodes well for us. It's one state and many that have done it recently. And I think there'll
0: be many more coming. You know, you talk about the size of the state of Texas. and I, I think you're right. And I, I think that this will have an impact, don't you, on on states going forward? Like we saw in Indiana this year, the uh, the Indiana House passed a constitutional carry bill, but then the state Senate decided to sit on it. Now that Texas has become or will soon be the, I believe, the 21st constitutional carry state, does that put more positive peer pressure, so to speak, on on other red states like Indiana, Ohio, maybe even Georgia or Florida to uh, uh, to to hop on that right to carry uh, revolution bandwagon and adopt constitutional carry language as well?
1: Yes, I sh- I really think it does, and I'm, I can't wait to get to the 26 states that we have a majority of the country.
0: Uh, it, it bodes very well for us. All right. Uh, listen, Alan, as always, sir, it's a pleasure getting a chance to spend some time with you. Thank you so much for joining me on the program today. Always a pleasure, Cam. Thank you. You bet. Look forward to doing it again very soon. Alan Godley with the Second Amendment Foundation here on Bearing Arms Cam & Company. Appreciate Alan joining us as always. Now let's turn our attention to today's armed citizen story, our good deed of the day. Uh, And our recidivist report, we will start there with a a case out of Pennsylvania where a a man uh, accused in a barbershop killing in Carlisle, PA, turns out previously accused of stealing a gun from the same barbershop, believe it or not. Penn Live reporting that 42-year-old Michael Baltimore, who is a a former employee of the GQ barbershop and a guy who has a history of criminal charges, is a suspect in Saturday's fatal shooting at the barbershop. He's been charged with criminal homicide, attempted homicide, and a firearms violation. He has not been taken into custody, however. He is still on the loose, and police consider him to be armed and dangerous. He is accused of fatally shooting Kendall Cook and injuring Anthony White. Uh, the Carlisle police chief says that the shooting appears to have been the result of a personal conflict between Baltimore and the two men. Back in 2019, Baltimore was charged with theft, receiving stolen property, and persons not to possess firearms After Carlisle Police said video surveillance determined that Baltimore stole a 9 millimeter handgun from someone there at the store. According to court records, though, the theft and firearm charges were dismissed. And instead, Baltimore pleaded no contest to receiving stolen property. He was sentenced to 60 months probation. Now, this was somebody who was not eligible to have a firearm, if he was already a prohibited person, and prosecutors ended up dismissing this case despite having video surveillance, I mean, they basically let this guy out. When he could have gone to prison, if they had referred this case up to federal court, Baltimore could have gone to prison for five years. He would still be behind bars today. He would not be accused of murder because he would not have been able to commit that murder. Uh, But that's not what happened. Uh, Including, you know, by the way, there were other criminal charges that have occurred uh, with Baltimore since that arrest back in 2019, January 7th of this year. Baltimore charged with aggravated assault, strangulation, fleeing, and attempting to elude officers, terroristic threat, simple assault and harassment after a domestic dispute in uh, Upper Allen Township, Pennsylvania. Uh, according to court records, you know, Baltimore was let out on bond. Uh, prior to this, Live reports he has a history of cases in Dauphin County. Going back to 2007, Baltimore assaulted a man who was sent to the hospital for treatment of serious head and face injuries, uh, leading to charges of attempted homicide and aggravated assault. He... Um, was found guilty of aggravated assault in 2009, paroled in December of 2017. So he was already on parole when video surveillance caught him stealing a gun from this barbershop. And again, he was allowed to plead down to lesser charges, sentenced to probation. Uh, this is the revolving door of the criminal justice system. Meanwhile, you've got Governor Tom Wolfe, who is demanding the passage of new gun control laws in the state of Pennsylvania uh, that could put people in prison for selling a gun, a rifle, to their neighbor without putting through a background check. We don't need to be putting people in prison for nonviolent offenses that gun control activists dream up when we can't even put violent felons behind bars in the state of Pennsylvania. But you won't hear Governor Wolf talk about the case of Mr. Baltimore. No, no, no. He's far too busy pursuing your right to keep and bear arms and trying to restrict your Second Amendment rights. All right, uh, on to our armed citizen story of the day. Also, by the way, involving a uh, an attack at a barbershop, this time in California, where the Press Enterprise reports that an ex-employee stabbed two barbers in Riverside before he was shot to death by one of his intended victims. This was Friday evening. The uh, victims, according to police, suffered injuries that were not considered life-threatening. The suspect, however, uh, is now deceased. On a Saturday, a sign posted to the front of the Carlos Barbershop said, our barbers are okay and safe just healing today, Riverside County Coroner's Office identified the assailant as Joseph Anthony Jimenez of Riverside, California, a former employee. And uh, customers of the shop said that they were uh, surprised to see that it was closed when they got there Saturday morning. They were unaware of the attack that had happened that Friday night. According to police, it was about uh, just before 7 o'clock when Jimenez allegedly entered the shop, started an altercation. Then he stabbed one man, and when a second man intervened, He stabbed that individual as well. The second victim then got a gun and fired at the attacker. Police say the suspect, quote, collapsed right outside of the business. Jimenez was taken to a local hospital where he was pronounced dead less than an hour after the attack occurred. Detectives say that they haven't determined a motive for the attack, but they do consider the shooting to be self-defense. I would hope so. I mean, I know it's California. They're very anti-gun, but considering the individual who fired the fatal shot at Jimenez had already been stabbed by Jimenez, yeah, I would think that that would be considered a case of self-defense, even in the uh, anti-gun state of California. And finally today, our good deed of the day from Cherokee County, Kansas, where a firefighter and a police officer, same guy, by the way, helped to get a man out of a burning home in Lowell, Kansas. This was Monday morning, uh, just before 1030. Fire crews went to a structure fire in Lowell. They had a confirmed victim who was trapped inside that home. The uh, Baxter Springs Fire Department, Galena Fire Department, Baxter Springs, Galena EMS all responded. Police officer and firefighter Seth Brown was the first to arrive there in his patrol vehicle, and he actually went inside the burning building with another person, uh, rescued the victim. The uh, Baxter Springs Fire Department says there was significant risk to their own safety to do so. Then Seth Brown performed CPR on the uh, individual who had been trapped inside that home for four minutes until fire and EMS arrived. Uh, the incident right now has been turned over to the Kansas State Fire Marshal's investigation. Don't know any details uh, of that person who was trapped, but we do know that uh, Seth Brown, in the right place, at the right time, will and able to do the right thing, putting his own life at risk to save the life of another. And uh, Seth Brown, we thank you, sir, for your very good deed. That is all the time we've got for you on this edition of Bearing Arms Cam and Company. want to thank you, as always, for being a part of today's program. And uh, don't forget... Uh, If you want to uh, become a VIP member of BerrienArms.com, we would love to have you. Uh, Your support helps us do programs like this each and every day. All you have to do is go to BerrienArms.com slash subscribe, and you can enter the promo code GUNS to get 25% off of your VIP membership. Not only will you be supporting Arms Cam & Company uh, and the BerrienArms.com website, but we'll give you exclusive analysis, commentary, uh, news stories that you won't find anywhere else. Again, all you have to do is go to BerrienArms.com slash subscribe, and use the promo code GUNS. Uh, finally, one last bit of uh, news for you, non-Second Amendment related. I wanted to save this until uh, the end of the program, but for those of you who have been following along uh, in my wife's fight against cancer for the last five years, I have some really, really good news to report. Uh, she had a CT scan today, and she's not been able to, to take her, uh, her, her therapy or her immunotherapy drugs for the past, I guess it's been like three or four months now, because the side effects were just, uh, it, it was just destroying her, so the good news is we um we, we've been able to figure out what's going on with the side effects those are being treated uh and even without any actual treatment for her lung cancer, the latest c t scan showed no growth in any of the tumors. It looks like uh, several of them actually continue to shrink so this was unexpected good news. We were both sort of anticipating that because she hadn't been able to have her any treatment for the last few months that the tumors would have grown, but she would be able to restart her treatment. Uh, we got even better news than that today. So I know that a lot of you are keeping her in your prayers, uh, and your thoughts. And I just wanted to extend my, my gratitude to each and every one of you, uh, for again, continuing to keep her on your mind and in your heart. I, I firmly believe that uh, your prayers are making a difference. And so thank you again, from the bottom of my heart for, um, uh, sharing the love for Missy. E. All right, we will be back tomorrow with more of the latest Second Amendment news and information from all across the nation. Don't forget, you can subscribe to Bearing Arms Cam and Company on rumble.com. That way you'll never miss a program. Or you can go to uh, Town Hall Media on YouTube. That way you'll find not only Cam and Company, but other great videos from the folks at Red State and PJ Media. And we will be back again. But until then, be well, be safe, and be free.